Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. been doing it since you know 1775 in the case of the, of the u.s army so they're a well-oiled machine in that um how, how the military maybe spits you back out into the society you once left not so not so much because that's not their mission their mission is to fight and win win wars um not all of the suicides are combat related uh, some may have never had a combat deployment that that had ultimately committed suicide so so it's it's hard to draw where those where those things connect, which has created a big challenge with the veteran suicide epidemic. A lot of folks think, oh, they went to hard combat in Iraq or Afghanistan. Not always the case. Hey, this is Dr. Rob Bell. If you want a free ebook, the best mental toughness quotes that will make you better, just text Dr. Rob Bell. That's D R R O B B E L L to this number, 33444. You'll get it downloaded right away. Are you one of nearly 7 in 10 Americans who doesn't feel fully rested when the alarm clock rings? Do you dread your mornings? Let's change that. Psalm Sleep is a drug-free, non-habit-forming sleep drink in a small can that can help save your nights from tossing and turning. Find out for yourself at getsom.com and stop dreading your alarm. Psalm Sleep, it gives you Z's. So our guest is a West Point graduate. He's a qualified Army Ranger and a retired colonel, 26-year military veteran. He's also an endurance athlete. He's completed over 40 marathons and ultras, including 12 and counting Boston marathons, as well as a legendary Leadville 100, which we will talk about today. Our guest is the founder of Team Leadville, which is focused on stopping veteran suicide, PTSD awareness. They finish as a team, and everyone who started that race with Team Leadville has finished that race. Team Leadville has also raised over $200,000 to date. He's the author of the book, Embracing Grit, How a Flatland Veteran Conquered the Leadville 100 Ultra Marathon. Our guest today is Tony Hoffman. Tony, thanks so much for joining us, man. Hey, Dr. Rob, great to be here. Thanks for all you do, and motivating athletes, professional athletes, folks like myself, and uh, appreciate what you do, and a pleasure to be here today. Well, I'm, looking, I'm, I'm looking forward to today, man. I, I wanted to start out with this. So, I mean, you grew up in small town Minnesota. Um, you, you, the, the family business, the Hoffman Transitions, is still in business today over 70 years, man. That's amazing. It is. Um, you know, I never really thought about it till the last couple of years. My father passed away back in 1984, which we'll talk about in the, in the hinge moment piece. But he founded that uh, out of the military, um, grew, grew up very a depression era baby, started that business on his own after leaving the military in a town of, well, when I graduated from high school, it was about 715 people still in business today. Um, the owner um, is now the son of the person who took it over from my father. And I still keep in contact with both of them. No rights to the business, although the name's still on it, Hoffman Automatic Transmission. And they stated it might be one of the oldest 
transmission shops, definitely in Minnesota, maybe in the nation, which is pretty amazing. And in a small town to be able to do that. And I never gave it much thought to the last couple of years on really what our, my parents had really kind of built over time that still stands today. No, I love that, man, because anything that's going to lead to like the legacy is is sweet, man. It's mm-hmm. it's impressive. Um, well, let's start into that, because I think you have a fascinating hinge moment, well, you know, Army basic training and with your father. Lead us lead us into that and tell us that that hinge moment story. Yeah, sure, Dr. Robin. Again, um, till we talked a few months ago about, you know, your, your podcast and, and uh, this discussion today uh, really caused me to think about the hinge moment. Um, you know, there can be many of them. But I pinpointed it to uh, age 18, graduated from high school, signed up to enlisted in the military to try to put myself through college. That was my goal. A two-year enlistment, signed up my junior year in high school under what was called the delayed entry program, meaning you knew if you graduate from high school, you will go into the military and serve. So I knew what I was getting into after graduation. So I'm at basic training, uh, left in June of 84 after graduating from high school. And about halfway through, uh, was notified under emergency medical procedures that my father had suddenly passed away. Um, had been told that he had been diagnosed with uh, colon cancer, was only given a few months to live, but it was very sudden. I mean, within weeks. And I didn't even really know it because I was at basic training. So I got called back, um, attended the funeral. My, my sister came back from Colorado. My, my mother, it's just, just the two of us. And then uh, my mother. And, um, after the funeral, after a few days, it was on a Wednesday, uh, you know, my mother was very, very supportive of it. Well, I think you should go go back to basic training. And, and, uh, and you know, it was one of those hinge moments of what do you do? You could easily probably now in retrospect have gotten out of the military due to the, the your, your father passing away and uh, decided uh, with the help of my mother to, to go back and finish what I started. And I think what was unique in that experience was I finished with the same group that I started with. I didn't get put into another group. And looking back, I think the leadership there um, at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, was surprised that I came back or came back that quickly. Uh, but I look at that as a hinge moment. Um, I often now think, gee, what, what would have occurred? I ended up being in the military for 26 years um, or earning a uh, appointment to the U.S. Military Academy at West Point as a former enlisted soldier, which is pretty rare. And I, I don't mean that braggingly, but it's just uh, the numbers don't add up. Not many people are, are able to to do that. Um, so that was, for me, the hinge moment for a variety of reasons, Dr. Rob. I, I think one of the main things is um, probably finishing what you start. Um, and, and that has, to me, I think served me well in my life. Um, and um definitely a key moment in my life and a hinge moment. And I appreciate that. Cause I mean, when I was hearing this, I mean, you're, you're, you're going through at the ultimate level in terms of enlisting, being of service to your country, this happens to your dad, you head back. And what, what else like stands out to you about, you know, your, your brothers during that time? Well, I think, um, Really, the you know it just hits you smack in the face of of uh, a death of, of a parent, um, that and then a lonely ride, you know, plane ride back home, uh, picked up at the airport for my mother, just very somber at, at the time, um, and it, there wasn't really a lot of time for grieving. It happened so quickly. I think I got back on a Saturday or Sunday. 
the funeral was on a Wednesday, well attended in a town of 700 people. There were 400 people at the funeral. Um, so, so I think um, a variety of emotions. I think uh, not a lot of time for grieving. Um, I think the celebration of life was huge to see that outpouring. I think it showed um, the respect that my community had for, for my mother and father in particular and the business, that the, the things that they have done, had, had done in our small town. Um, so a myriad of emotions, um, ultimately then the finality of it after the burial is, okay, what's next? And that's where, you know, part of that hinge moment comes into play is what's next? Do, do, do you stay here? Do, do you, uh, you charted, a, you know, to go to college maybe and after two-year enlistment in the military? I'm not sure. I, I, I certainly didn't think about it that much at age 18 at the time. I think it was just more, okay, discussion with the mother. Hey, I'm going to go back and and finish basic training and try to get back on that path. But it took a long time to really kind of go through that process of grieving and everything else. But it sticks with you, um, certainly at that age, I, I think, Dr. Rob. And I always say, especially with these hinge moments, like what if never happened, right? Yeah. Like we, we don't know what that alternative would have been. Why do you reflect on that one as being you know, the hinge moment. Yeah, it probably is a little bit of that thought process. If, if you, if I don't stay to choose to stay in the military that long or choose to get out of the military right after that, after the death of my father, certainly don't go to West Point. Don't pursue that opportunity to, to go to uh, U.S. military Academy preparatory school, then earn a, an appointment to West Point. So, so you kind of look back. I don't like to reflect, okay, the what ifs, but he can't help it if, if the military piece was taken out of that. I'm not sure. You just don't know. Um, was college really a viable option then to, to pay for college and things like that? If not, wh where do you go? Um, is it, do you stay in the state? Am I still in the state of Minnesota, which is great. Um, do I ever leave my hometown? And, and I still have great contacts there. So I, 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 refer to my hometown with a lot of pride on how I grew up, where I grew up and the life we had. However, um, the, the what ifs were, what if the things that occur in your lifetime never occurred and you never had those other opportunities or the opportunity to see what else was out there? That, that's probably what, what I reflect upon a, a little bit, Dr. Rob, on, on kind of the what if scenarios. Yeah. Hey there, good looking. If you're digging this podcast and check out our book, Puke and Rally, it's not about the setback, it's about the comeback. Just go to pukeandrallybook.com. Now back to the show. Like these moments connect who we are with who we become. And obviously in terms of endurance, teamwork, and grit, that's the foundation of, of Team Leadville that, that you surround yourself with. I always look back on these as we, we don't know the impact of these moments in the actual moments, only with time and perspective can we see and point back to well that's that's where i got that never given up attitude um and i kind of pause with that i mean it's um when when you developed your love for running um walk walk us through that yeah, sure dr rob uh was not a runner in high school my high school a graduating class of 34 didn't have a lot of um extras sports outside of football, basketball, baseball, kind of the basic sports. Uh, cross country, I, we did not have a cross country team at the time. So running wasn't really, um, certainly not built 
to, to be a runner, uh, so to speak. Uh, so the endurance piece, I was always in, uh, kind of enthralled with the marathon for some reason, um, had never really pursued it. But in um, officer basic training after graduation from West Point, you go to one of the schools. Uh, in my case, I was an engineer, so Fort Leonard Wood. I wanted to pursue a, a marathon. And one of my classmates at the time had run one. So we decided to train. And in November of 1990, I mean, it's hard to believe entering the fourth decade of running, we ran the, the Marine Corps Marathon, which at the time was one of the first couple of years of that marathon, which is now pretty popular. There in DC, yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, it had a horrible experience. Um, Great. We, uh, it did. Yeah. It was um, made every mistake a first timer could make. And I distinctly recall around mile 15, uh, a comment made again, the crowds weren't as large as they are now, but somebody said, Hey, look at those guys go. They're going at a Boston pace. Well, I think I'd probably heard of the Boston marathon, but now I know Boston very well. In fact, today's Patriots day. We'd be normally running today um, on April 19th. Third, third Monday in April. But anyway, um, I, that, that comment stuck with me. And then the wheels came off around mile 17. Um, you know, going too fast, uh, wasn't, had trained, but not properly trained, went out way too fast. The hydration pieces were never in place, what they are now t- today with, and, and with goose and everything else. So I had a horrible experience and thought, what, I will never do that again. Um, but you finished though. I did finish. Did yeah. finish. Yeah, uh, it was it was uh, kind of ugly at the end, but but finish hit hit the proverbial wall around mile 17, 18, and then and finished. Um, and I can't remember the. I think it was like four hours and fifteen minutes or something. No, nothing spectacular, but the wheels certainly came off for that last probably six seven miles uh, of it, Doctor Rob. Um, but then a couple of years later, I was in Germany, my first duty assignment. And kind of got the itch again. And there was a senior non-commissioned officer who had done multiple marathons and we decided to train. We were actually going to run the, um, the Athens marathon, um, which, um, it, it, it kind of replicates the Pheidippides 25 mile jaunt, uh, announcing victory over the, over the Spartans, I believe, uh, uh, the actual official, you know, what, what the marathon was about got canceled due to, um, field activities that we were doing for training, et cetera. But we continued that. I came back to the U.S. in 1994, ran another marathon in Utah, um, and that got the itch again uh, of the, the marathon. Had a much better experience. The, the non-commissioned officer that, that we had trained with, he was actually back in the States. We ran together and ha- had a great experience. And since then, it was kind of an unwritten uh, goal of mine to, to do a, a marathon a year. I didn't always stand by that, but but now over the years, uh, 42, 44, I can't remember how many, uh, I think it's 44 now. Um, I've been able to to do that if you average it out uh, at least one per year. And then I've uh, obviously been very enthralled with the Boston Marathon in particular, which I consider the gold standard for racing. So so I think it was, um, it was not love at first sight, Dr. Rob, but it was... Uh, uh, a um, certainly a lot of respect and admiration for the distance and the amount of time and effort it takes to, to go that distance. And I've always kind of held the marathon as somewhat transformational for people um, because it's a, a less than 1% of the U.S. population will ever complete a marathon. I believe that's a stat. So I think the marathon, um, uh, not always in the moment, I like the toughness, the grittiness, and the the really requirement to do it properly to train up, uh, 
to do it and not get hurt and and to try to excel in that event. It requires yeah. a lot of effort. And it's interesting, right? Because you had no idea doing that first Marine Corps marathon that 26.2 would just become a training run at some point. <laughs> wouldn't even be the race, man. It wouldn't be the culmination. That would just be a training run. Let's let's lead us into, right? I mean, Leadville 100. So for those that, that don't follow, I mean, it, it sits at, at 10,000 feet with Leadville, started in 1983. Um, you even had an encounter with, with the founder, yeah. Ken, on, on Hope Pass. I did. But walk us through then what was the inspiration for wanting to do the Level 100, which, you know, race across the sky. It's one one of the toughest in the United States to to accomplish. But what was the inspiration behind that? Yeah, Dr. Rob, I don't think there was one uh, couple things. I was stationed out in Fort Carson, Colorado in the uh, early 90s, early to mid 90s. And and I look back on that. I didn't really get into I'd been to Leadville. Had heard about Leadville. I think the, the piece uh, the ESPN did with its Termahura uh, tribe and um, and and the race against uh, Ann Trayson back in uh, the early uh, or late '80s, I believe, that really kind of amped up the, the Leadville 100. And of course, at that point, there were not a lot of 100 mile races. And the founder Ken Clover, who I consider a friend, now it's it's unique that now I know Ken uh, pretty well. Uh, but at the time, there was always kind of uh, an intrigue with Leadville for me, um, but didn't really take the time and effort, was moving around every 18 to 24 months in the military with the family. Um, no excuses, but but uh, had retired in uh, late 2013. And I just had the idea, uh, I guess I had the time and, and uh, a little bit more time contemplating as I was retiring, we're going to stay in the Kansas City area here. And I said, hey, you know, I think I'm going to I'm going to try the Leadville 100 back in 2013. Um, did a lot of studying. I mean, I'm an engineer, so I did my analysis, I thought, on the race. And of course, you're jumping from a marathon to a 100 miler in Leadville. Um, so not exactly the, the smartest thing, Dr. Rob, and I don't regret it because I did do my research on it. Um, but there's the nutrition aspect, there's the, there's a mental, physical, and then there's the nutrition aspect of a hundred, uh, hundred, uh, as well. But anyway, um, was, um, uh, tried it in 2013, uh, gave it a valiant effort. Remember the marathon was the longest distance I had gone towards and, uh, did not make the time cut coming off Hope Pass at, uh, at mile, uh, back at mile 60. So it's pulled off the course. And it's very unceremonious uh, end, uh, as you probably know, and as you've talked to some of your other guests uh, uh, at the end of an ultra, when there's time, there's time hacks in between for a lot of these races that if you don't meet them, you're pulled off the course. So there you are at Twin Lakes, uh, which is a small, not even a town. Uh, it's like a rock star status at mile 40 with band, not bands, but you know, it's, it's during the day. Then you do the, the 10 miles over Hope Pass, which goes to 12,600 feet and come back. And now it's dark, nine o'clock at night. It's getting cold. Hardly anybody's there. The, the faster runners are, are done. And then you're, you're left with an unceremonious end. Um, kind of a kick in the gut, but, but it broke me mentally. Uh, the backside of Hope Pass broke me mentally in 2013. When, uh, when was that? When was that moment that broke you? And I don't mean to cut you off, but you I mean, you talk about a marathon mentality into an ultra marathon race. What part really did yeah, that break you? I think, um, well, at the 50 mile mark, um, I had kind of checked out. 
Uh, although in retrospect, it actually made very good time in a, in a, in a former uh, mining town called uh, Winfield. It's not even a town anymore at the 50 mile mark. So I distinctly, it's in the book, as you know, Dr. Rob, um, it's kind of a funny story. I got this bearded guy. He's in his twenties, probably named Zach. We're sitting at the aid station. And I, I said to him, you know, I'm kind of thinking of checking out. And at the time you wore a, a anklet or a wristlet to, to track your time versus the bibs they have now. He sat down. He goes, yeah, I'm not having a very good day either. But he said, they're going to have to pull me off the course and yank this off my wrist. And that kind of motivated me a little bit at mile 50. I said, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. I, I, I walked out of there, went about a mile on the course and really had a discussion with myself of, gee, I, I don't know if I want to go back up there. I knew what the backside of Hope Pass was. I had trained there just prior and it's brutal. I mean, the backside of Hope Pass. So decided to give it a run, uh, linked up with a 17-year-old kid who was waiting for his uncle who never made it there. Kid was, kid's name was Tanner from uh, Virginia. He tried to drag this close to being retired Army colonel over, and I was, uh, I was um, not having anything to do with it. I think the time that, that probably broke me, uh, Dr. Rob, was coming up the backside of Hope Pass, and you're looking up, and you see other runners, and they look like ants. And I think mentally, that really caused me to be like, hey, I probably can't do this. Uh, the other thing I learned, a very important lesson that day, was there were two other runners from Phoenix, and we were kind of leapfrogging each other along the way. So they were not going any faster than myself and the 17-year-old pacer at the time. You can have a pacer after 50, and that's what Tanner was waiting for his uncle. So he... He said, hey, I'll pace you because I'm my uncle didn't make the cut at the 50 mile mark. So we get up to what's called the Hope Hope Aid Station. They've got llamas up there and everything else. And we're sitting around a fire. And I'm watching those two guys, in this case from Phoenix, calmly. They said, hey, let's get some some potato soup. They had they had some amenities there. Um they went to do get their, you know, get their headlamps ready and stuff calmly. And then got some energy and took off. And I was sitting back there, checked out mentally. And I didn't, it obviously didn't sink in at the time. But my lesson learned from that in, in a 100 mile ultra is you can, as a definition, you can puke and rally. You can. You get some nutrition. Um, it's um, the, the big piece with that sort of race is um, handling the ebbs and flows, the lows and the highs of a race. And keeping the nutrition, because once the nutrition goes, I think the mental aspect starts to go. And then the physical, not, not so much the physical aspect going. Once the mental aspect starts going at six inches between your, between your ears, then you're in trouble. And, um, that's one thing I learned from those guys. And I bet they made the cut at Twin Lakes versus me, who didn't know as much about nutrition and everything else. So, so I think the moment that broke me mentally, backside of Hope Pass, um, especially looking up and really probably losing confidence in my ability to keep going. In retrospect, I had a marathon mentality of hitting all these cuts, cuts, cuts. You know, if you're looking for, a, say, a Boston qualifier, my age, three hours and 30 minutes or whatever it is, uh, you had a marathon mentality for a 100-mile endurance event, not the way to go, versus uh, it's steady, you keep going, you handle the ebbs and flows of the hundred. That's a big thing I learned from watching those guys in retrospect of their calmness and like, just get to the next aid station and see what happens. Yeah. 
And so that was your first attempt, man. Second attempt next year, you know, and, and you talk about that in your book, but walk us through that, those that haven't read the book, Embrace and Grip, but talk us through that, um, you know, what, what was the best part of that one? Sure. Hesitated to sign up. It was the first year of the lottery system in uh, in 2014. Thank goodness you did, man. I did. It was <laughs> a, I think it's New Year's Eve. It was December 31st at the time was the last uh, midnight, last year to sign up. I did, was accepted, uh, which is you know, sometimes, you know, it's hit and miss on the lottery system. And then, um, you know, the big adage is um, definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a, a same result. So made some tweaks. But but right after that race, Dr. Rob, uh, my brother-in-law, who's great, Tom and my sister, Anita, have always been big supporters. He, he helped crew me and had a great plan. He's not a runner himself. Um, but we had a discussion after that, after not making in 2013, a couple of days later, well, really a day later. And, you know, we said, hey, a lot of good things are, that happened. Um, it just took a while to, to, you know, get back down to, you know, they live near Denver, get back down, uh, get, you know, kind of reacclimatized to 5280 versus 10,200 in Leadville. And, and um, we said, well, hey, we did a lot of good things. Didn't really consider looking at 2014 then, but then got the itch. And, and I, I kind of considered it, frankly, Dr. Rob, I had some unfinished business. Um, didn't have to do it. No one's pushing you to do that. And you kind of know, sometimes the second time around, you're going into the meat grinder. Now you know what to expect. That can sometimes be worse than not knowing what to expect. Made some tweaks along the way, in particular with the nutrition piece. And I think that was the big piece. Um, you mentioned meeting Ken Clover. Went out in May of that year with our son, Nate, who's now a, a senior in college. But, but at the time, you know, he was, what, 14 years old. And we were hiking Hope Pass just to get used to the terrain. Another lesson learned. Hey, let's look at the key terrain, get used to it, and have some more confidence on what you're really seeing, not really at mile 40 to 50 when you're going up up and down Hope Pass, but let's see it when you have fresh legs to give you a better perspective on what, what it's really, you know, hey, this is what it's really like. Granted, you'll have 40, 40 to 50 miles under your belt when you got to do it in the race. But let's get a better perspective of the terrain and train a little bit out there. Um, so, so all of those, I think, at the end of the day, Dr. Rob tr tried to um, not make major tweaks, but, but smaller tweaks that I thought maybe could help. Um, I, and I don't define it by success. I think, I think it's, as, as you say in your book, it's about the journey and putting yourself on that journey and just doing the very best you can. That that's it, I don't consider success or not success making it through that race. Luckily, things worked out. What I've learned about the Leadville Hundred, at least for me as a as a as a non elite athlete, um, things got to really go right out there. The, the margin for error coming from 900 feet in Kansas City and not being able to acclimatize for three weeks, the margin for error is going to be thin, and it's just something. Is it fair? No, most of those runners are, at, if you look at who finishes, a lot of them are at an area that they train at some sort of altitude. There's no excuses. You got to know going in that you're going to have um, just that other factor to consider that you're going to have to deal with the altitude coming from 900 feet. Don't make it an excuse, but do the very best you can to knowing what the parameters are going to be. To, to try to give yourself the best chance for, for finishing. And if it doesn't work out, um, just give it your best shot. That, that's how I look at that. So, so all of those combined, I was very fortunate that things worked out um, 
to finish that race in 29 hours. And I think it was 31 minutes, um, which, which was a, a heck of an effort. Um, That's 30 uh, minutes to spare. 29 minutes to spare, 28 yeah. and some change. So, uh, um, but it was hit and miss, you, you know, and uh, especially during that last uh, last bit from that last aid station to, to know, hey, hey, can you do this or not? And I had a great pacer, yeah. uh, a guy named Chris Westerman, who who is phenomenal, a uh, guy you'll never hear about, but was just a phenomenal athlete in, in his own right, who uh, I had never met uh, personally until that day, but we had talked on the phone prior to that. Before you get that belt buckle in the race, what what else stands out to you that, you know, is personal to you? Was it uh, when you knew you were going to finish or when it was a low time? What stands out to you? I think, um, gosh, it's tough. tough. Uh, what's a couple of things stand out about mile G, I'd have to say 70 something. Uh, we were at the at the aid station pr- prior to um, prior to one of the bigger climbs towards the end of that race, and I'm at the fire with Chris Westerman, uh, who's linking up with me there, and uh, he says, "Hey, how are you doing?" I said, "Not not good. It's about 28 degrees, which doesn't sound bad, but you you know I've got 70 miles, 70 some miles under your belt. It's my first, now. I mean, I'm in uncharted waters." Uh, pass it. Remember, the year prior was 60. So I'm truly in uncharted waters. And Chris is, uh, <laughs> he's not a guy who gets in your face, but he won't let you quit. Um, and I'm sitting by the fire, got some food in me. That was one thing that stood out was uh, Chris said to me, he goes, uh, look, you got X, I think it was 78 miles under your belt. You're supposed to feel that way. It's just part of the process. Very calm, very matter of fact, get some food in you and keep moving. Um, then we, we went to, I think it's 11, it's Sugarloaf Pass, uh, tough climb for one you don't often hear about. You hear about Hope Pass. Got through that. And a couple, another thing that distinctly coming off of Sugarloaf into an area that had a lot of rocks. And I see this silhouette, it's Chris Westerman. And he looks back at me, he goes, you got to pick it up. And he, he gives me the Ken Clover comment. You're better than you think you are. You can do more than you think you can. And I see this silhouette that, that just stood, stands out to me. I was chuckled at the time. I was like, I can't believe you just said that's the Ken Clover quote. Kept moving. And then the other piece, as we came off of that to get to the last aid station, Chris had thought we were right up against the time cut. We, we ended up having, I think, five to 10 more minutes. I ended up breaking off into a jog with him and looking at him and, and, saying you you sob and he started laughing he goes man you're an animal you're doing great ended up we were not as close to the time cut and he didn't know it he wasn't trying to push me just falsely we got to that uh aid station and then it became crunch time you know you got 13 point uh point one miles whatever it is left and and chris got serious and he said hey look you, you got to finish a half marathon in, in four hours can you do it and I'd like to tell you, Dr. Rob, that I, that I said, yeah, yeah. But, but I, I kind of just looked at him like, um, I, I don't think I said anything, to be honest with you. Um, and I tried to take some food in. I told him, hey, hey, Chris, I can't take this in. I think it was a turkey wrap. He said, it doesn't matter at this point. Take some water and let's get moving. And, and we continued to move and, and relentless forward progress, RFP. And, and about um, about four miles remained then I, then I kind of knew it, it, it was looking like, hey, we're going to finish this thing. 
Um, I broke off into a walk at about a 12 and a half minute mile pace or so, 13 minute mile pace, which was pr- pretty quick at that yeah. point. And, uh, and Chris had to use the wood line to, to use the restroom. And I broke off just to, just to make him work a little bit to, to gain some speed. And he actually broke a little bit of a sweat. And I, I said, Hey, man, I, I need to make you work a little bit while you're out here. Um, the other thing that stood, stood with me just prior to that, I was really upset. You know, uh, uh he, he was pushing me in his manner, very calm. And, uh, he came, I said, man, I was whining. And, and you know, you get grumpy as you know, Dr. Rob and these things. And he looked at me, he goes, no one's ever died on this thing before. And you're not going to be the first. He just, he would not, um, he would not give in, in in a very positive manner and not let you quit and take you out of that mind, negative mindset and get you back into a, a, a positive mindset. When he said that, uh, I started laughing. I said, man, that was, that was actually pretty funny. It broke me out of my funk and you just kept moving. All he was looking for was constant forward movement and whatever it took to get me out of that mindset to not stop and stop whining and break you out of that negative Dr. Rupp. So those are the things. And then of course at the finish, it's, um, I mean, it's just, I wouldn't say magical because at the time you just want to finish, but the hug with Ken Clover uh, and and my, my brother-in-law captured it. I think in retrospect, you look back on it, but at the time it was just, just the finish was just, you know, kind of victory in in itself. Yeah. And so you started Team Leadville Marathon with with a distinct purpose to talk about endurance, teamwork, and grip as being the foundations of that. Um, walk us through Team Leadville, what it's about, and and everything that really goes into it. Absolutely, Doctor. Impetus for Team Leadville really was my experiences in Leadville um, in, in the race. Um, and in fact, I've got a new book that'll be out. You'll get a copy, Dr. Rob. It'll be out first week in May called Endurance, Teamwork, and Grit, Team Leadville's Relentless Push to Stop Veteran Suicide. It talks about this. Um, I, I looked at the experiences in, in Leadville and uh, I thought, wow, what a great, la- I call it the laboratory of grit, Leadville. Um, again, I mentioned, I think marathon is a transformational event. A lot of people don't think they can do a marathon. So I wanted to bring others in. Um, I've always been kind of a, um, a, a ambassador for the sport of marathoning. And I thought, wow, what, what a great opportunity maybe to have a challenge. And what started as a challenge for a group of then military officers, because that was my tribe then. I was recently retired. My tribe was still the military, not so much anymore. That doesn't mean I don't get along with folks, but you know, I found that different tribal affiliation now being out of the military now for going on eight years. But I thought, Hey, Hey, let's bring some others into the marathon and let's use Leadville as, as the opportunity, so to speak of, of challenging somebody with a marathon. The Leadville race series, as you know, has multiple events. It's usually kicked off uh, the, the mid June this year, it's June 19th with a Leadville trail marathon. And, um, my idea was to get a team that would start and finish together, taking advantage of the laboratory of grit called Leadville and really have a challenging event where a team can finish together. We were able to get a team together in 2015, team of seven. Uh, three of them had never run a marathon before. 
They were out in the Pacific Northwest near Fort Lewis, Washington, now called Joint Base Lewis and McCord, because those were some of my affiliations in the military. I was back in Kansas City. So essentially, it was a, it was a tra- challenge accepted by them, by that group. We trained virtually, gave them a training schedule. I, I like to, to try to do that, coach them, had multiple calls along the way, and then we would meet up in, in Leadville in June. Along the way, one of the members, Army Major, still active duty, Dan Keezer, came up with the idea of uh, supporting a veteran cause and trying to raise some money. We did, raised about $7,000 on a whim, but it was late in the game. After the 25th, and we were able to finish in about eight hours and five minutes. It's an eight and a half hour cutoff time. So, So that started Team Leadville. We decided to do it again in 2016, but but then we really refined it um, where it became not only the marathon and the team marathon for Team Leadville, but also a veteran cause. And we locked in to the mission to stop veteran suicide, which is what we still do today. So it combined the purpose with endurance, teamwork, and grit. Um, and you really, Dr. Rob, you'd have to ask the runners why some of them keep coming back. We tend to have a different team every year. But I think what they tell you is, one, it, it gives me a purpose to get in shape and, and challenging event. We're not setting any speed records out there. That's never been the goal. Um, it's a team event, something they probably don't, most of them are veterans that are now out of the military, but not all of them are. Uh, it gives them a, a purpose that maybe they haven't found on the outside uh, since they've uh, left the military. But the other big piece is that purpose of of stopping veteran suicide and it's locked in. So we take the athletic endeavor, combining it with the purpose of, of saving veteran lives with the veteran suicide epidemic that, that unfortunately is occurring and combining those events and combining those things into endurance, teamwork and grit. That's what team Leadville is about. And it's really quite amazing that this all volunteer effort continues now for year seven and raising nearly a quarter million dollars uh, and saving over 108 lots. Those are documented lives, Dr. Rupp. So that's, a, in a nutshell, uh, the, the, the kind of a nutshell of, of how Team Leadville evolved and the why behind our purpose. And, and to merge your experience then in Leadville 100 and then having individuals at Team Leadville finish that trail marathon, is it more, do you get more joy out of seeing other people finish that? I, absolutely, Dr. Rupp. I, I could... You know, I could probably do it fast. I know I could do it faster than our team. No, absolutely. I, I do. I, I was one year walking down. Uh, one of our runners who's been there every year, uh, former Army Captain Heather Bain, struggled year two. It was it was like 78 degrees, which doesn't sound like much, but that's brutal out in Leadville. We had a really, really tough finish. Barely made, almost did not make the cut because, again, we're only as fast as, as our slowest person. But... um. Second year we had done it, uh, Army Captain Heather Bain and, and our former Army Captain Heather Bain works for Amazon now and Major Dan Kieser. They've been there every year. Uh, uh, Dan Kieser is a guy who said, and he, it's in my book, he said, I when when first approached about the marathon, said, I will never run a marathon. I'll never do it. Never do it. And, and I was shocked that he even tried the first one. Uh, and now has done it six years in a row. And same thing with uh, with with Heather Bain. I bring her into this because she really struggled in year two, barely made the cut, but finished. Um, they tried to actually, we're going to pull her off the course. And she said, Hey, look, I didn't come to Colorado not to finish this race. 
And she pushed, you know, literally pushed them aside and kept going. She wouldn't let them take them off the course because she was close to the cut. Point being, year three, I about fell out of my chair when, when she said she wanted to do it again. And I was in tears behind my sunglasses coming off, uh, I'm sorry, Mosquito Pass, as she was leading the slower group up in 2017. And um, she doesn't know that, but, but I was like, I was so proud of her that she was now, we tend to separate a little bit and we get together at the end because that group was, I think, 14 or 15. So it's hard to keep that many together. Sure. So we do separate. She was leading the, the, the bit slower group up Mosquito Pass after having struggled the year before. And I was, that to me, Dr. Rob, is um, re resembling what is important to me to see people on their personal journey doing something they probably didn't think they could do, coming back in her case to tackle it and not only surviving, but thriving and leading others along the way. So, so absolutely, that is very rewarding for me to, to watch others do it. And, and in our years doing this, we've had 63 runners. 11 first-time marathoners tackling that race. Just to put it in perspective, Kara Goucher, former Olympic athlete, ran it in 2019, her first trail marathon. It's documented in Runner's World. They didn't even do Mosquito Pass. There was too much snow, so it only went up to about, only went up to about just under 12,000 feet. Her comment, former Olympic uh, marathoner, hardest event I've ever done in my life. So, and again, we're not going at her pace, but, but it puts it in perspective. This is no cakewalk. And the expectation uh, to start and finish as a team make, makes it even more tough, but it also more rewarding as everybody picks each other up along that course, Dr. Rob. I love it, man. I love the shout out to Heather Bain too, man. That's cool. Yeah. Um, with veteran suicide, talk to me about that. What What is, I mean, a lot more awareness has come to that, but there's a lot more work that, it, that needs to be done. And, and, and talk to us about what, what's going on there. Yeah, well, one, I'm no expert on veteran suicide. You know, I know enough to be dangerous, and I state that in, in my new book that, that's coming out. The biggest thing with veteran suicide, and look, any suicide's bad. I, I also sure. state that. Um, but the thing with veteran suicide is it's 1.5 times greater for veterans than it is for the average public. That's the problem. Right. Um, uh, less than 7% of the U.S. population has ever served, yet 14% of the, of the suicides are veterans. So, so sink that in a little bit. About seven, less than seven percent of the U.S. population are, are veterans that have ever served, and, and that's fine. It's an all-volunteer force now, but yet fourteen percent of the suicides are veterans. That that's a big problem. Uh, the hard part is um, correlating the dots, uh, putting the dots together. Exactly why uh, it, it, they they don't have the answers. However. There are some positives and, and areas such as Warriors Ascent, a nonprofit here in Kansas City, that, that is effectively fighting the veteran suicide epidemic. There are other good programs, too. And the VA, I think, has made steps in that direction, but there needs to be a lot more. Um, things with uh, the program like Warriors Ascent is they've got experts that, that are um, you know licensed professionals that come in for a five-day academy of healing, no pharmaceuticals, no drugs. Um, it's, uh, it's teaching proper nutrition, teaching meditation, teaching yoga, journaling, all of these things combined. So, so your question, Dr. Rob, the big issue 
it's the high suicide rate of veteran of the veterans that is a problem. Continues to be a problem. I think it's seventeen a day now, um, which which is bad, uh, horrible. Getting better. There are, there are some programs out there that are effectively treating it uh, through not just not just shoving drugs uh, to, to the way of veterans. Um, so there's, but there's a lot of work to be done. My, my concern coming out of the pandemic will be the isolation, etc. That, that has occurred here in the last year. Um, I, I hope it's not as bad as I think it might be, but we might be seeing some some challenges as we will in society as we hopefully come out of the pandemic of, okay, what are the, what, what, what has impacted here in the last year in society, as well as in this case, the veteran suicide epidemic. I want to ask about that. And again, from, from your perspective, you know, you have an individual who's sacrificed, um, given for their country and they're part of something bigger than themselves and their identity gets wrapped up in that you know, rightly so, they come back and now they're no longer part of something. And, you know, and, and whether we like it or not, right? I mean, the islands we create or the, the cages we create for ourselves happen in our own mind. But do you think part of that is that isolation then that happens and that lack of connection that automatically happens upon returning? Yeah, Dr. Rob, I think it's part of it. Um, again, not, not a clinician right. or anything like that. But yeah, I think there's an identity tied for some in the military. Um, I think it's purpose. Uh, you know, a lot of folks found their purpose in the military and, and that, you know, the, the military is, they've been doing it since, you know, 1775 in the case of the, of the U.S. Army. So they're a well-oiled machine in that. Um, how the military maybe spits you back out into the society you once left, not so, not so much because that's not their mission. Their mission right. is to fight and win, win wars. Um, but yeah, I think that's part of it. I think the other part, as I've learned, listening to some of the experts is there was trauma probably before they went in of some sort. And, and then that gets re-triggered. That's another thing that the, the dots aren't connected. Not all of the suicides are combat related. Uh, some may have never had a combat deployment that, that had ultimately committed suicide. So, so it's, it's hard to draw where those, where those things connect, which has created a big challenge with the veteran suicide epidemic. A lot of folks think, oh, they went to hard combat in Iraq or Afghanistan. Not always the case. In, in fact, I don't know which percent, but it's a pretty high percent of folks that never served in combat that creates issues. So all of those things combined, I think, Dr. Rob, are, are uh, what's challenging for the for the veteran suicide um, uh, issue. Uh, one thing, though, on a positive note, programs have shown success in stopping post-traumatic stress. Um, and having a, a meaningful impact that has saved lives, such as Warriors of Sin, as one example. There are multiple examples, I'm sure, out there, but there are programs that are effectively doing it without just drugs. Well, I, I love, you know, what you're doing, um, you know, especially with Team Leadville, man, because you're making such a difference in people's lives, and especially through the art of the struggle and pushing yourself, which, which I'm all about. Let me ask you one more question. And that's this, what questions should I be asking Tony that I'm, that I'm not asking? I think maybe um, for the general public, Hey, how can we make a difference? Um, how, you know, with respect to the veteran suicide, my, my thing, I'm big on action, Dr. Rob. Um, that, that's a, that's a uh, fault and, and, uh, and a, a positive, I guess. Um, but, but I'm big on action. Um, I think, 
for those that are interested in the topic, take some action, whether it's finding an organization that is effectively fighting it. Um, one thing that prompted me and, and the, like the 20 at the time, 22 pushups a day was great for awareness, but the inactivity, the inaction is what got me engaged. It's like, we got to do better. And, um, and uh, I can do, you know, 22 pushups a day. That's great for awareness, but it's not saving lives. The, 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 the challenge I would probably have, the question you would have is how can I get engaged to make a real difference in this fight? It would be either finding an organization that, that is effectively doing that requires a little bit of research because not all, uh, not all veteran nonprofits in particular are, are great. It requires some research. And, and what organizations have a true metric or track record of su success fighting the veteran suicide uh, uh, issue? That's what I would say is the question is, what can I do? What can I really do to get involved in this? And it requires some action, Dr. Rob. Not, nothing will ever occur without action. The, the posting on social media by folks is great for, for awareness. But at the end of the day, we want to save lives. And, and we're doing that. Um, and, and others can do it too. But I'm passionate about it because action matters. And that's the only thing that's going to help help this fight. And we are making progress. Uh, it's slow, but, but it, it can be done. And, and that, that would be the question. What can I do to assist, Dr. Rob? In, in, in regards to like Warriors or Sent, what other organizations would, you know, would you recommend? Well, there, there are other nonprofits that are doing this, doing some very good things with, with respect to the veteran suicide epidemic. Um, I would say um, research those. Um, I would also say, I'm always big on this, research if they're a 501c3 nonprofit, what are their financials? And is the money that people donate going to the program? I think that's an important piece because people are going to get involved and open up their checkbooks to do this should know that their money is not going to pure overhead and just other salaries that it's actually going to fight and fight the veteran suicide epidemic. So, so to answer specifically a variety of organizations, but it re, I would, I would challenge folks to really research those organizations to see if they're providing true metrics of saving lives and that money is going to the program versus to overhead, if that makes sense. Awesome. Colonel Tony Hoffman, thank you so much, man, for, uh, for joining us here, man. I appreciate that. Dr. Rob, I appreciate it. Uh, invites always open. I know you're busy this year, but um, I think we'll be doing it again next year and uh, invites always open to you. I'd love to get you out there. I think you would uh, have a blast with our team, team Leadville, but I know you got a lot on the plate, but uh I appreciate what you do. Appreciate the motivation you provide, uh, you know, old guys like me and um, and everything that you're doing for for uh, not only professionals, but also your family as well. That's a big deal. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Mental Toughness Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell or visit our website at drrobbell.com.